Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Uh, Noel, how's it going this week? It's okay. I'm really tired. I had a 6 a.m. meeting, followed by a 7 a.m. meeting, followed by an 8 a.m. meeting. That's not, that's too many meetings and at bad times, even despite, like, I know that you work globally and all of that, but still, yeah. like, gross. Yeah, no, it's, it, Thursdays are not my favorites. And this is something that's going to keep happening for at least the next three weeks. So I'm I'm just fair warning to you and the <laughs> listeners. Okay. By the time we record on Thursdays, I am pretty much dead. <laughs> Noted. Noted. Yeah. That's, that is completely fine. Well, and you know what? I think that's a really good like segue to our one little bit of TV news, um, which I'm pretty much dead. Uh, so apparently over on The Flash, at the end of season seven, we're finally going to have two of the actors leave the show. Carlos Velez and Tom Cavanaugh are finally actually leaving the show um and kevin was supposed to leave at the end of last season um but with the way that they wrote that character out uh, but then with covid that storyline got bumped to this season and so they're like they're still doing a couple little things with him here and there but um but i mean Elizabeth has been just checked out for years <laughs> very very much uh very much for years and so now we're at the end of season seven for those who don't know standard like network tv contracts are seven seasons so i'm sure they're like want to re-up he's like no not even a little bit. Get me out of there. Yes, Cisco is like one of the best, if not the best character on the show. I would say, I guess, because he's been so checked out, no longer the best character on the show. Um, I guess I would, I would give it to Iris. I think right now. Yeah. No, I give it. I I would do the same. I would give yeah. it to Iris as well. So. But uh, but yeah, I mean, they're just gonna have to figure out a way. And, and what I appreciated though is that it seems like the showrunners and creatives are invested in writing them off in a way that they can pop back in, which yes. for a show that is still one of the highest rated shows on the entire network and therefore likely has legs as long as like the central people want to keep doing it. As long as Gustin is still on board, I think they're going to keep yeah. doing the flash. Um, and this will then hopefully let them like the actors who are done, <laughs> go do other things, take a break, and then come back and have like an awesome guest episode or something. I, right. I'm reminded of Alias and Bradley uh, Bradley Cooper when he showed up in season three and it was like, oh, God, this show is so much better <laughs> if when he's on it and wants to be there versus is on it and is being forced to like is being given storylines that are dumb and don't make sense and don't let him do anything. Um, the you know, it really is remarkable how much a little time off can rejuvenate a performance and a character. So I'm hoping for some some stuff like that. And then they can stop trying to, like, patch over terrible naming things when Cisco would name them better. But they're, he's hamstrung by the comics, you know, because uh, yeah. Cisco won't be there. So anyways, what, what, did you, what did you think of this news? I think it's great. Um, I think for um, Carlos Valdez, it's particularly great. Like you said, he's been checked out for a couple of seasons now. Um, and there have been rumblings that he's wanted to be gone for at least two seasons. Mm -hmm. So I think it was just a matter of they weren't going to let him out of his contract. But they've at least laid the groundwork to replace him, basically, with Chester. 
And I think that that makes a big difference in a transition point because they've been really hitting the Flash 2.0 aspect of things with the, with a new kind of Team Flash. So I think between that, between um, Allegra? Yeah, Allegra too, yeah. yeah. Um, there's room for them to continue building out the team a little bit. And that's exciting. I'm sure that they wish they still had like Sue and Dibney, but oh well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's room and stuff. Um, and yeah. And as for Tom Cavanaugh, this is good news for him because he can just go back to making Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> and he's very good in those. Yeah. For those who aren't aware, um, yes, it's easy to kind of look down on actors who got this cushy network gig, who want out of their contracts, um, until you realize that a normal day of filming for a show like Spooling. The Flash... It's like a 14-hour day, depending on how intensive your hair and makeup is um, and, like, what, what your character's look is. If you need, if you just, like, this is why Juliana Margulies was, like, I'm wearing a wig <laughs> for yeah. all of The Good Wife. Because if she had to, if they had to style her hair every day, that ad would have added at least an hour, if not two hours to her time every single day. So like it's, and they work six day weeks a lot of the times or it'll be like six days on one or two days off, that kind of a thing. And I mean, that's just a normal network show as opposed to a show with stunts and everything. So yeah, like, yes, they signed the contract. Yes. They are very well paid in general on network TV, but like, it's very understandable that, yeah. you know, people are ready and to move on. And for, like, Carlos Valdez in particular, like, this was one of his big breaks. Like, this mm -hmm. was, like, I was watching, like, clips of them from eight years ago and being like, they're babies. I He's know. a baby. <laughs> um, It's hard to think about them so young. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't like to do it. But... He's probably ready to do something else. Yeah. And, and it really limits your ability to do other things because yeah. it is such a demanding schedule. Yeah. And so, and then, like, I mean, this is not a dig at Vancouver, but you're shooting in winters in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. um, and you're potentially far away from family, all this sort of stuff that, like, has to factor into those decisions um, that when you first sign on sounds great because you're, like you said, you're on this big network show. You're on this, you're on a spinoff in particular of one of the most popular shows on the CW at the time. And then you're just like, oh, this is just... It's a such a every season's a marathon and mm -hmm. inside of mini marathons of actually shooting the episodes. So I get it. I totally get it. I would not be able to do network TV. <laughs> yeah, I don't have the energy to work on network TV. Um, so, yeah, no. So I think this is this is good for them. And I'm excited to see what the show can kind of start doing. Not that the show is going to start taking any big swings. Uh, yeah, don't anticipate This is it. not Legends of Tomorrow. They don't take big, weird swings, but we'll talk about that. We'll get there, <laughs> yeah. Uh, at the end of the show today, we're going to be talking about Gargoyles, the uh, beloved Saturday morning or after-school cartoon. Which, which was Weekday this? afternoon cartoon series, except for the third season, which does not exist, which definitely did not air on Saturday mornings because it does not exist. <laughs> More on that when we get there. <laughs> Um, but for now, let's take a break, listen to a little music, and come back with our Week in TV. Some folks like to get away, take a holiday from the neighborhood. Hop a flight. 
That was one of our uh, many delightful songs from this week's Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. This week in TV, we're going to kick things off with Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Zoe's Extraordinary Double Date. I don't know how they thought that was going to go, but we'll get there. Uh, then we have the return of Legends of Tomorrow for season six with ground control to Sarah Lance. Uh, the Flash had the people versus Killer Frost. Batwoman had initiate self-destruct. Star Wars The Bad Batch debuted on uh, Disney Plus with Aftermath. And then we'll round things out with Top Chef Portland. Meet you at the drive-in. So first up is Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Zoe's Extraordinary Double Date. Now, how familiar are you with Beta Breakers? Because uh, I'm very familiar with Beta Breakers as a concept because my parents um, used to live in Berkeley because my dad went to UC Berkeley for grad school to get his PhD. And so they like had either participated or spectated or whatever. And it was apparently amazing. So when that popped up here, I was like, oh, awesome. Yay. Uh, and it does not surprise me that Zoe is not a Beta Breakers person. It does surprise me that some of these others are, though. What, what, what did you think of this episode? I had to have my partner explain to me what this was. Because um, mm-hmm. I've heard of, like, costumed fun runs and stuff, but I did not realize that this was a thing. Yes, definitely. So she had to explain it to me. Um, and then I went, okay, cool, I got it. And then as soon as she explained it to me, I went... These, this is such a large number of people not wearing masks and singing and dancing right <laughs> next to each other. I'm very upset. Um, I'm sure everyone was very, very safe, but watching it, I just went, this is big and beautiful and I love seeing it. All of these people have COVID now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. That is, you know, it's the reality of viewing, of the viewing experience at this, uh, at this point. Yeah. No, I'm sure everyone was very safe. So I, it's just, it's one of those stressors now of watching television, um, especially television that just refuses to acknowledge that there's a pandemic. Um, but I really liked this episode, um, in part because all the musical numbers I think were really, really good. And we got a lot of them in this episode. And, I also really liked how the episode itself is really grounded in trying to figure out change for everyone. Even Perry, um, who we're getting a little bit of development on, is trying to figure out what he expects and what he wants. And I really like how the show doesn't actively call attention to that, but it's woven throughout the entire episode. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I mean, just also he's got such a gorgeous voice. Um, so mm-hmm. it's like, <laughs> give him more songs. Um, he can't, he can't get written out because he needs to sing more. Um, which is how I feel about several of these characters. But the, yeah, the, um, I was very relieved to see the show Zag where we thought they were going to zig with the gambling. Um, mm-hmm. so that was very encouraging. We'll see what so comes So much next. money. 
(laughs) She has to declare that. She's going to be absolutely. It is absolutely a tax concern. Yes. Um, And I love that it was like, I didn't want this money because it was gross because it was from that guy. Like the, like I feel, I see, I feel bad for doubting the writers about it. Like I feel, I felt guilty watching this being like, okay, you're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have doubted you. I should not have doubted that you're, you're, you're like, um, uh, your commitment to giving Mary Steenburgen good things to do (laughs) and interesting things to do. Uh, and I love the, the little, like it it also made the, the stuff that they gave Peter's last time, much more interesting here. It's like, it feels very much like a trust us. We're not mm-hmm. going to bring her in just to waste her in this last yeah. episode, which they did, because here, then we got you know, a lot of more, much more fun stuff. Um, the But yes, the, the stuff with Perry and Mo I thought was really interesting, and I'm glad that they're exploring and developing and adding uh, like some, some discussion around gender and identity um, for, not for Mo, but for Perry, yes. and uh, that they you know, so clearly and respectfully establish Mo's boundaries. And he's like, I'm not just, you know, because it sounds like this is what you're asking me to do. And I'm not going to do that. Like, and I I hear you. I understand, respect your journey. And I can understand how that is, you know, difficult for you. And I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Uh, So, so um, I like the, the care they're giving that relationship and that again they're going in more interesting places than maybe i would have anticipated um i because i was anticipating more just like standard rom-coming delightful loveliness because that's what i want for mo <laughs> um especially after meeting the, the kid and everything the kid's song um how are you feeling about uh new york state of mind so first of all i really just to get out of the way is that I really loved how they bought it back right at the end, the same way that the song functions mm-hmm. um, in and of itself. I really appreciated that as a drop into it. Um, Cause spoiler alert, I really like Billy Joel folks. He's a terrible human being, <laughs> um, but I really like his music. <laughs> um, so I was delighted when um, New York state of mind came into play and as my partner also pointed out, um, it does not seem like a Skylar Aston song, but it really is. Oh, it's a total Skylar Aston song. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, cause I went very much it. to new Greg, yeah. right? Sure. With it. Yeah. <laughs> my partner bought up new Greg too. And she's just like, this is exactly why he wasn't good as Greg. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the thing I really liked about it, um, is the, way that it pivots away from the triangle and into that lost space that the therapist brings up. So good. It's so good and so deeply refreshing. Yeah. The degree to which I buy it from Zoe. Yeah, but I love the way they just sit with her and before she's like, oh, oh, I I hadn't thought about that. Yes. Uh, Which is great. It's like, yeah, that's why you go to therapy. Yes, it is why you go to therapy. Uh, so that, the way that they zagged on that, as well as like, as you were saying, the casino and gambling stuff was just so refreshing mm-hmm. to watch and enjoy and experience while making the conflict between Zoe and Simon be Simon's distrust and like frustration 
but also the fact that he just doesn't know. Um, and also the fact that he just never got his lunch. Okay, he never got his lunch, and you just can't not have your lunch after you've run what seven miles? Yeah, in a prince costume? No. Yeah, boy yeah. needs food. Yeah. <laughs> how how did you feel about every? How did you feel about this then? Yeah, it was like the. It, I was all set to enjoy this episode, despite going like, eh, I'm not really invested in these storylines, but I like the show. I, I like the performances, all the stuff. And instead, I got to go. Oh, that's not what. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's interesting. That's a way. Okay, cool. That's a way better way to do it. Also, mm-hmm. like, I like. Can I, I just watch Shaun of the Dead and them with the the zombies? Like, that's a much better. Don't stop me now. Uh, no, yeah, no offense to is. these singers who are amazing singers and all, but like, you're not you're not Freddie. You're not Freddie. So, I I try not to be too protective of certain songs and certain performers sure. and say like nobody should cover them or whatever. But just like. Don't don't gleeify queen. Just don't do it. Anyways, that's how I feel about that. Um, but uh, the this actual like the way the storylines are moving is encouraging, and I I think that you know maybe we're moving towards a season finale of of Zoe telling Simon about the the singing the about her ability or whatever her superpower. Instead of it being like another love triangle thing, and that would be so much more interesting. It actually, actually, some of these moves in this episode has had much more excited for what it felt like the inevitable like hinge point of the like the season finale was going to be, and that's really exciting. So, um, I, I also think it was good that we got a little bit t- of time off from Emily, and I imagine she'll be back in the next episode. I hope and- so. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think that storyline needed to breathe a little bit. And, uh, so we'll see what happens next. I also liked our little bit of time with the megaphone and the microphone and the drone phone drone phone being the, the actual winner. Um, so we'll see, but, uh, that, that was, that was a a nice little, (laughs) like, is this, is this real or a hookup or I'm going to shut up now. So never mind. doesn't really, does not matter. I'll take either. (laughs) Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, there, there are some, there's some, encouraging moves in this episode. And, and when I say encouraging, that seems like damning with praise. Cause it's not that I was discouraged. I would have, I would, I would have enjoyed where it seemed like it was going um, anyways, but this is just much better and much more interesting. So yay for nuance. Yes. Nuance is important. Mm-hmm. Um, our next episode is legends of tomorrow ground control to Sarah Lance and nuance is important, but it's not nuance everything. Nuance is important. That was the segue, folks. <laughs> but but it's not everything, because sometimes Gary's an alien. <laughs> We've seen Gary without his glasses on before, though, right? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He was wearing contacts then. No. No, he was he had he also had a tie that was like a thing and like yeah it doesn't make any sense but we don't care we don't care that much I care a little bit i care a little bit but not enough to begrudge them this i mean it explains a lot mm-hmm. but i'm still <laughs> like we've definitely seen gary without his glasses on yeah and yeah. he didn't turn into an alien he didn't turn into an alien uh, i'm sure someone uh somewhere in one of the legends like fan Fandom, yeah. sites has like a list uh the, and, and listeners if you if you have a link to that hook us up but i think so much of this really works because of of course the just the goofball energy of all of this it's delightful um it's it's 
I'm very excited for what the season looks like it will be. Uh, I'm very excited for the through line of Sarah proposing. I, that just is like the perfect thing to set all of this other stuff up and mm-hmm. add just what exactly the amount of tension we need. They're still, they still, still have to figure out a few things with Nate, but I like that the show is very much aware of that and lampshades that in this, in this first episode. Um, and I'm, <laughs> Mostly, I mean, we could have had this in the news, but uh, I am not excited about Rory leaving the show uh, due to contract disputes between the network and the actor and Purcell. But um, but like, I I really appreciate how centric and forwarded he is here. I like the 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 way that they have split the dynamics in the cast. So we got Sarah and Gary, we've got uh, Ava and Rory, and then we've got Nate kind of figuring his own thing out with David Bowie. <laughs> Bayrod just, just getting stoned because uh, it's a lot right now, guys. And then we've got uh, Zari and, and John kind of in their own little thing. Um, plus Astra. Plus Astra. Well, but she's, I get the sense that she's not going to be on the ship from this. So we'll see how much she pops in and out. But I like that they're like, okay, main characters, main character and supporting, and uh, periphery here. <laughs> like, and th- th- I think it's a good way, and it's, it's a smart way to set up their large cast so that they can use them effectively um, for for this at least next several episodes. What, what did you think of of this setup, and you know the fact that we had the binder? <laughs> Ava immediately had her binder, uh, which with its check mark of let romances run their course. Um, so structurally, I think that breaking the characters apart works really, really well. Everyone has really solid dynamics, and it also helps them with various COVID protocols that they need to shoot safely. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in the early going when they were shooting these of everyone being like, how the hell do we do this? Um, and I think segregating your characters off as much as possible really helps with that. Um, it also just allows you to shoot a little bit more and give people space. Um, so I think all of that works. And I think the pairings, like you said, work really well. And also I just want to shout out the makeup department for, um, Virad. Barad, thank you. Um, making sure that his eyes were a little red around, like, in, like, the backs of his eyes were a little, like, yeah. pinched and red. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that you could tell he had been smoking a lot. Um, but I just, eh, this episode was fine. Oh, um, I it so much more than you did. Okay. You did, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's a, vi- it, it, for me, it suffers a little bit from just, a we need to kind of reset a little bit and so we had to get the ball running we had to introduce a new character who i'm very eager to see continue to interact with these weirdos um because yes excellent please and thank you let's do that some more um but it was a very premisey sort of premiere of we need to get aliens lost in the time sphere um the timeline and everything so i really liked all of that um but it just it didn't ring as many bells as I wanted as much as I appreciated Spartacus being lunch because that was excellent. (laughs) That was just terrific. He was a douche and he deserved to be eaten. So I'm okay with that. I'm okay. If history is now really screwed up because he's, he's, he's just the worst. He's the worst. Oh, well, well, history isn't necessarily screwed up, right? They never found his body in the last fight. So, you know, 
That's true. That's a good point. All right. So we're fine. We're good. <laughs> um, my favorite joke, though, and this is just a runner on Legends, is the way Legends responds to everyone else's continuity of, wait, the DEO got destroyed? What the hell? Nobody tells us anything. I liked, <laughs> I loved the, like, the, is it uh, going to be awkward with you and Alex Danvers? Because, you know, her and Sarah hooked up. She's like, swing a dead cat. I mean, like, I, I had to come to terms with that a long time ago. Why <laughs> did John right there all the time? <laughs> <laughs> well, and just like, you know, and now I just really want a scene of of Alex and Ava, like, mm-hmm. bindering together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it would be great. Um, so yeah, there's, I, I, yeah, I was really tickled by this. I think, um, a big part of it is getting to just watch and go along for the ride on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and while I know, you know, front of the show, Shoemaker, you know, ha- covers the server for the, the AV clone and, and does a fabulous job and I'm sure really enjoys being able to cover the show. I'm so grateful that I don't have to, that I can just go f- just watch, just watch right. and be like, what are the, Gary's an Gary's an alien, apparently. Okay. And uh, they're just kicking through the door here. That's going to not end well. Um, okay. Chateau Caperadas. It's as rational a coping mechanism as any of these these people have. So why not? And as, as Ava's binder says, leads can may come from the least expected places. So... This is all par for the course. So yeah, I, I'm I'm much more excited than you. I think uh, I also like the continue continued centering of Ava and Sarah, and just yes. like if there is a single show that I am not worried about burying its gaze, it is this one. And yes. uh, and them establishing nope, star crossed, time crossed, every alien crossed love will eventually win. I'm very confident that it's legends. And so, and it's, it's this ship. <laughs> I'm like, the, it's a ship. What's a ship? The thing. And they're explaining, like, you know, Gary explaining shipping is just delightful. Um, and in, in, in a different show, I would not be able to enjoy this as much. But mm-hmm. because it's legends and it's season six, and I really do trust these writers to not fridge this couple, it lets me just kind of sit back and enjoy the ride. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens next. It's a lot of relief not to have to worry about it. So. Yeah. Well, uh, there is shipping, another shipping thing that I'm not very worried about. And that's, uh, of course, over on the Flash. It's amazing, really. Like, the, this, we had the People versus Killer Frost this this uh, this episode. And it's all about uh, Caitlin and, and Frost and the trial of, of Killer Frost and everything like that. I did not get a chance to watch this one. But uh, it really, I was seeing some people remarking on, they were surprised they the show never tried to hook up Cisco and Caitlin um, or Cisco and Frost. And I do think that it was one of the smarter moves uh-huh. that they have made. This is another show where I am, like of all the things I am not worried about, uh, I am not worried, of, well, I'm not worried about the show surprising me and becoming one of my favorite shows anymore. But I also am never worried about Barry and Iris. Um, and I appreciate that. And you I obviously appreci- don't follow Daniel Panabaker on Twitter, who is yes. just an ardent snowberry. Um, yeah, that's okay. Good for them. Yeah, like, yeah. okay. No, I, like, nobody's ship is wrong, but also, okay, you do you. Yeah. Um, so, so when, you know, I was surprised that when I heard that, that the Frost is in jail, but I was more surprised by the fact that people seem to think that's going to stick. And she's just like off the show now, um, which just seems strange to me. So I, I haven't seen this one you have. How did this episode work? And 
should I actually be expecting them to keep her off the the show? Because this feels very much like a faith thing to me, where as soon as they need Frost, she's just going to break out. I mean, I really don't think that they're going to keep her in prison um, to kind of signal how serious she is about atoning basically frost voluntarily goes for life in prison without parole to also avoid taking the metahuman cure thing yeah cure thing i tried to avoid using the term cure because it's Um, not (laughs) because it's not and also this is like a large portion of the episode is very much about the fact that the state thanks to the feds um represented by what's her name um want to administer the cure as punishment. Um, And there becomes like a larger, very courtroom drama-esque discussion about, but being a metahuman is who I am. And if you're doing that, you're taking away like an essential part of who I am. And there's a number of things about this that are layering in like racism and queer identity and this kind of a thing within terms of genetics and within terms of like social identity. And for the most part, it works. It's very X-Men-y in that way. Um, So if you've seen any or read any X-Men comics, none of this is going to be particularly fresh. But it is still interesting seeing The Flash kind of interrogate that as a concept, even a little bit. Um, Which, as I've routinely railed against, the Arrowverse shows are not known for being particularly good at interrogating this kind of thing. Um, and I think that this does an okay job. Um, the paralleling that they do with sort of the case of the week in finding where the strength force is hiding and it's assumed the, and turned out to be part of a, um, another person similar to one of the other forces, um, draws some parallels between like the ideas of monsters and like that whole thing. So it's actually a fairly well-constructed episode in that regard, even if it's not maybe dramatically compelling because like you, I don't really believe that they're going to keep Frost in prison for the rest of the show, let alone the rest of the season. Um, But we'll see going forward. Um, The other thing that this episode does do is reveal the actual big bad of the season. You'll never guess who it is. It couldn't be Nora, could it? It's not. It's the Nora. Speed <gasps> what? Yeah, it's, the it's speed Nora. Force. I am shocked. She tries to kill Iris in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like I, I was just like at towards the end of the episode when uh, Nora was being kind of weird. I was like, she's gonna kill Iris. And then, like, I was just like, it's gonna happen in a couple episodes. Two minutes later, she tries to kill Iris. <laughs> And I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, the Speed Force is at the very least the villain of like next week. But I wouldn't be surprised if she, Nora is the big bad going forward now. Um, which I think creates some other interesting dynamics about what do we believe about trust who and all that sort of stuff that's baked into this episode. So while I think it's a really well-constructed episode overall, dramatically, eh, but I also don't expect that much from The Flash in season seven. So mm. fair enough. Um, over on Batwoman, we had initiate self-destruct and um, you know, you're a little behind on Batwoman, So I'll just keep yeah. this brief, but um, I, I appreciate some of the, the, the moves they've made recently around um, uh, 
around uh, people <laughs> who knows who Batwoman is and who doesn't. Uh, I think the the way they handle uh, Angelique in this episode works really well. I like the some of the uh, character choices and the even just like the I think they've done a good job of connecting people together to to really have more reasons to get people on board. Like they're they're pacing out the reveals, I think, pretty well at this point. They even made got me more on board with the enigma stuff because oh, of some choices okay. um because of the choice a choice that they make with that character and and sort of revealing why they're actually there okay and it's good, not this other stuff driving me nuts it's not the ocean alice stuff which is you know like fine and all i guess but kind of dumb um it's because oh this is why okay we'll see um and it's not the uh I forget his name. Guy in charge of the crows. <laughs> Jacob. Uh, Jacob. Sorry, Kane. Yeah, right. Um, it's not him either. So, so it was. It was uh, very much a oh, okay. Okay, now I see what you're doing. It took you too long to get here, but fair enough. Um, I like. To be fair, they were very busy having us navigate to get a map to an island. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Right. They just you could cut out all of that. It would have been better. But um, you know, fair enough. Uh, so so I enjoyed this one quite a bit. I, I I'm not going to say too much more. Um, but we get a team up that is uh delightful and I think pretty honest to the characters, um, and works pretty well, which is nice. We get uh some writing in and out of of various characters and motivations and storylines. I think like points of tension mm-hmm. that I appreciate and um. Yeah, I'll leave it. I'll leave it there until you've had a chance to see it. But I enjoyed this one. Um, I anticipate enjoying, but have not had a chance to watch yet. Uh, Star Wars: The Bad Batch, which had its premiere aftermath. This is like a seventy-minute episode, and then we're going to be back to like normal episode length starting next week with the I show. Think like this week, almost. or this week? I that, okay. I think that there's another episode dropping this week. I can't quite remember, but yeah. Yeah, well, because of course we had May the Fourth, so they premiered on may the 4th so how was this premiere uh and and you know how excited should we be about the bad batch it is very much a pilot movie (laughs) (laughs) um in a totally different way from another pilot movie that we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes um but it is very much a in case you didn't watch their backdoor pilot episode of star wars the clone wars and if you're watching this why didn't you (laughs) um (laughs) Of here's who they are. Here's why they. Here's why the Bad Batch is the Bad Batch. Um, from explaining the genetic mutations and everything, but it is very much a premise pilot. Of we need to get them away from the New Empire because it takes place right at the um, like midway slash end of Revenge of the Sith. So Order 66 goes into effect like five minutes into the episode, and they have to deal with. A little bit of the fallout, but mostly they have to deal with the fact that they don't fit into the Empire, really. Um, and Tarkin's going to be apparently like a and driving antagonistic force. Um, again, it's all pretty fine and pretty standard type stuff. There's like a prison break. There's some good action. There's a, hey, wait, what if we're the baddies kind of stuff. Um, all layered into this, plus there's a sudden but inevitable betrayal, and they introduce the girl. Um, yeah, listeners, Kate just rolled her eyes. Um, 
And I should specify that by the girl, I mean a child, um, a clone, uh, a um, clone child, uh, mm-hmm. but ge- genetically altered to be female um, from the original template um, clone. And they adopt her, basically, and take her take her with them when they flee um, the Empire and everything. Um, because, A, they need a femme-presenting character on the show because they don't have one. And two, that they need a younger character as well. It's very much an Ahsoka kind of thing of, this is our token character who hopefully will follow the same premise and become our breakout character. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's good, um, but there's not a lot of surprise here in any way, shape, or form, um, but it's really well-executed comfort. So I can't begrudge it too much, but I'm really eager to see what they do now that they're off and on the run, basically. Um, so I'm hoping for real solid A-team 80s action vibes because that's their whole deal anyway and i really want the show to deliver on that but in space (laughs) (laughs) which i mean like fair enough right that's what we all want (laughs) from our viewing uh or at least that's what i want i always want like the (laughs) a-team but in space yes thank you please and thank you (laughs) it's just uh i mean i i'm sure like listening to you talk about it i'm sure i will enjoy this because i enjoyed you will the other stuff like even just what you know like like and then there's they introduce the girl like i'm like just the way you say you know it's a capital t capital g and it it was like oh but i'm still gonna like enjoy it when it happens i'll just be like yep these are yummy yummy tropes yes exactly (laughs) so it is tropey as hell but it's again it's well executed so yeah that's what matters when you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, our last show for the week in TV is Top Chef Portland, which had Meet You at the Drive-In. And they did their, their they've done these before, these team challenges where they split the group into into two sets of people and they do one-on-one, you know, matchups. And whichever team wins that matchup gets a point. Whichever team gets more points um, wins. And then one of those, one of the, those team members gets the win and one of the other team members uh, gets one of the uh, members of the other team, I should say gets eliminated. Um, This because of COVID things is a, a a drive in um, thing where they, I felt bad for whoever was busing all those, like those servers. We had to run everything in Um, the rain, in the rain and try to get it to them when they're like, it's still warm. And I also thought it was charming that the drive in, was a drive-in, not of a movie or something, but of them cooking. <laughs> it was delightful. And they, there are enough, like, alumni and such around and that, that you know, they could bring in to, you know, have a, I don't know, like a GoPro in their car or something so that they could get some good footage. That It was, it was pretty delightful. Um, watching the chefs have to cook and deal with, like, this is drive-in food. They need to be able to eat it in their car. They need in their to be, BMWs. In their in their sponsored BMWs, um, and they need to be able to get like as like it needs to be flavorful, but it's like small portions and edible in a car and all of the stuff. It was a good. It was it was the right number of limitations, I thought, and it was interesting to see how they then each played with their theme of a movie genre. 
and who worked and who's worked and who's didn't. Um, so yeah, I was pretty charmed by this and I thought they did a good job building up their narrative of, you know, three wins and then three wins and it's tied and ah, uh, what, what, what did you think of this episode? And also, of course, Pat was like ridiculously shocky, silly, um, introduction to each genre was delightful. Yeah. Listeners, I texted Kate while my partner and I were watching this episode with, this is the loosest season of Top Chef I think yeah. we've they've ever done. And like a lot of it has to be chalked up to the pandemic. Everyone's just a little on edge and punchy, but also no one's being a pretentious asshole. As Kate said, there's very well, little po- Gabriel. There's Gabriel, but there's very little posturing going on except from Gabriel, who thinks he's on a different season of Top Chef than literally everyone else. <laughs> um which has made just everything really fun and silly and enjoyable. Um, and so I'm really digging this season a lot. And I really like this episode a lot. I love the whole drive-in aspect of it. I love watching chefs face these kinds of limitations, both in a, folks, you you can't make sticky food. Like, I, I you can't make sticky food. Why did you make me a rib? What is this? Um, <laughs> how am I supposed to eat this in my car? I like how they're like, I already got it on the steering wheel. Yes. I, I already have it on the buttons. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the other thing that I really liked though was the genre stuff because it was really fun and also slightly disheartening watching them all just go, I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, because a lot of them just don't know what to do. Um, with the genre idea. So when people actually like embraced it from the UFO pupusa, which is a fucking fantastic idea, um, to the weird cold s'more for sci-fi, both of those were just great. Um, and there was, and then the strawberry and chocolate milkshake, milkshake, not super romantic, but as someone pointed out, chocolate And strawberries are just associated with romance. Mm -hmm. So you win. Like, I mean, you you embrace the thing. Well, but also like sharing a milkshake. That is such like, especially an old timey rom-com kind of thing, like throwback. And Mm -hmm. in in, in with the theme of like a drive-in, like if if there was a way to present it in one of those like, like comical kind of cup things. Yes. Like like an old soda jerk kind of style container, then that would have like, nailed it right yeah but um but yeah no i i it was versus uh you know it's action so like there's a dipping sauce please folks please no (laughs) um the flip side of some of that is is that i was still really glad that a number of chefs still made like movie food so we got a hot dog we got popcorn did your popcorn meet drama no it did not was it delicious apparently and that's kind of all i care about a little bit is you still like embrace the challenge somehow even if you didn't necessarily embrace the actual challenge it's just like if you're gonna watch at a drive-in you should have popcorn and you should you should not have a duck liver dipping sauce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for your churro. Yeah, for your churro. Um, like I never expected Gabe so far, who is like I think getting the heavy front runner edit right now. But to be fair, he seems to be killing it. Um, Gabe. Oh, versus Gabriel. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um. 
Yeah, not Gabriel. Gabriel's getting a horrible edit. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, he's getting the heel edit. Yeah, yeah, he's getting the hard heel edit. But no, Gabe is getting, like, the strong mm-hmm. frontrunner edit right now. Um, so I'm, I'm just, I was really glad to see that. And I was a little frustrated that, like, Shota's, um, corndog was not better received or slash was not tasty but also Mm -hmm. folks he had horror it should have looked disgusting yeah and it did like why are you yelling at him for following the brief stop yelling at him for following the brief i was very on board with that yeah 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 definitely it was super fun and like you said is just so loose it's such a fun it's such a fun watch this season um so i i really hope that they stick with that uh like they're able to maintain this energy throughout. It's what I anticipate just from Hopefully, you know the yeah. strangeness of how it was filmed. Um, I don't anticipate it necessarily carrying over to a future season, but I would love if it did. Well, that's the thing is, I think the big difference, apart from the pandemic, is all the alumni here. I think just makes a huge difference in the pressure, but also in how the judges are talking to one another. Because suddenly they're surrounded by contestants who are used to being on the other side. And that, I think, warps and changes how everyone's going to talk about the food. Yeah. Um, and I think that just also changes the air of how people talk as well. So I, I'm, I'm just really enjoying it. And well, I think, yeah. And it's also that it's not only past winners. It's past right. alumni. So that also takes out some of the pressure of, well, if you don't win, then you're a loser. Like, cause like clearly you can not win top chef and be an amazing chef and be someone that they really respect and want to bring on to have be a judge. Right. Mm-hmm. And you go on to a very successful career boosted further by your, you know, yes. the, just the, the platform of having been on this show. So that, that also, it, it deflates some of the pretension of, oh, I have to win, I have to win, which helps with the energy of the whole thing as well. So yeah, well, we're, we're on board with Top Chef Portland, everyone. Uh, let us know what your pick was. W- would you have gone for the s'mores? I mean, obviously we couldn't taste anything, but like, what would have been your pick? Um, Probably the s'mores, because I love a good s'more, and I like that concept a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that popcorn did sound really, really good. Yeah. Um, if you're just going to make popcorn, it better be damn good popcorn. Apparently it was. Yeah, no. I mean, like, I get the I get the thing about it being like, you had three hours and you made popcorn? Yeah, I made popcorn for like 50 people, and I made two different kinds, but also you made popcorn. Um <laughs> But yeah, no. So I think the I think the s'more probably um, just based on the descriptions and everything. What about you? Yeah, it probably goes with the s'more. But I think it there was a good like there was some would have been like I'm not not gonna have the duck the duck liver uh, and churro churro. I will have the other dipping sauce. Um, but uh, but like there, I would have enjoyed having all of those and being like, no, yes. Yes, yes, no, yes. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, and the winning dish did sound delicious too. The chicken nugget type thing basically yeah. did sound really good, and it was on a stick, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is appropriate for the setting. Yeah. Um, well, what wins your week in TV? Um, I think I'm going to give it to Top Chef Portland this week, um, uh, with an honorable mention to Zoe's. Uh, what about you? I'll give it to Legends. I'm so glad to have it back. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed Top Chef Portland this week and uh, and also Zoe's. So yeah, shout outs to those ones as well. Now we'll take a break and listen to a trailer and come back with our discussion of Gargoyles. It is an age of darkness. 
madness. Superstition and the sword rule. It is an age of fear. It is the age of gargoyles. That was the trailer, or a trailer, for the cartoon, the animated series, I should say, Gargoyles, from the 90s, yes? Yes, it ran from uh, 94 to 96 or 97, depending on who you are. <laughs> okay, and let's let's start with that. So, yeah. listeners, I did not watch Gargoyles at all when it was on. I had never seen it before this, like this, we started preparing for this segment. Um, so I have no connection with this whole third season controversy. What's the deal with the season three that doesn't exist of Gargoyles? So here's the deal is that the first two seasons of the show, which comprise basically the entire show, um, the third season is like, I want to say like 13 episodes, if I remember correctly. Um, but the... The other show is like 50, the other two seasons, 50 something episodes. Um, it's a very long second season, folks. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 13 episodes for the third season. Um, so here's what happened is that the first two seasons of the show aired as part of the Disney afternoon programming block, which was syndicated across the United States in different markets as a programming block that any network could buy. And put on from basically like the two o'clock to four o'clock period. Um, and then normally something would air at four o'clock to lead into the local news. Um, during the show's second season, the ratings dropped a whole lot. Um, in no small part because the show couldn't get any traction. Because do you know what was happening during the summers of the summer of 1996? No. The spring and summer of 1996? The O.J. Simpson trial. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Yes. And so lots of preemptions and lots of... Yeah. A ton of preemptions. Um, did not help the show in any way, shape, or form. 
Um, on top of which, there this was also a period of time of intense turnover at Disney, and so the show lost a number of like champions and protectors. So the show was basically going to be canceled at the end of its second season um, until the Disney Saturday morning block needed a television, needed something for its schedule. And so the folks at Disney went, okay, Gurgles is going to fill in that slot for the next 13 episodes or whatever. Um, The original producers and writers all left. Um, Greg Wiseman, who was one of the, calls himself one of the creators, but and I'm guilty of this as well, um, wrote a couple of the episodes for the third season and then just departed and someone else took over. Whole different writing staff. And the other key thing to remember is that the shift from afternoon to Saturday morning means significantly different standards and practices rules Mm -hmm. um, because the Saturday morning block is typically reserved for more family-friendly, more educational, instructional type of programming, even if it's not. It's how you're considering it. Um, You're hitting a younger demo because more kids are, like, there. Um, So the show gets scaled back a lot from its darker tones. It's, frankly, sometimes much weirder shit that it does throughout the course of its run. And generally, the third season is considered to not exist. <laughs> um, so that's the whole deal with the third season. Um, listeners, I gave Kate a whole list of episodes to watch, none of which included the third season, because here is where I admit I have not watched any of the third season, <laughs> except for like a couple of the first episodes of it. Um, because no, no. <laughs> Just no. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, fair. so that's the deal with that. So we're just going to be okay. talking about like the first two seasons of the show. Okay. Yeah, it was. I was interested. I was excited to watch this because you know, I obviously you have a, a very strong place for it in your heart. Yes. And a lot of people really love this uh, show. It, it's it's a got a strong cult following uh, in our age group. Yes, it uh, does. And yeah. Um, so. Go ahead. Hit me with it. Hit it's, me with your, it's, your favorites. It's fine. Yeah, there we go. It's fine, guys. I'm sorry. I wanted to like it so much more than I did. And I don't know if it's because I watched I watched it in several like chunks. Mm-hmm. I watched the, the opening movie all, all at once. Um, but I think I, I really don't think it's that. I think it's that it was just really overhyped for me. That's fair. Not not necessarily by you, Noel, yeah. but just by the fact that it is so beloved. And it's one of those like under scene and like oh it's so great it's right up there with that man the animated series and i'm like <laughs> nope <laughs> not for me it is not near <laughs> the batman the animated series for me um and, and it, it just it also is was very very familiar i kept waiting to be surprised by things i kept waiting to be um like to to find more depth and, and nuance in what they were doing and for me it was just a very standard entertaining after school kind of cartoon show. Mm-hmm. I was like, is this, does this feel notably different than how I remember like Pirates of Blackwater? No, does not feel That's any different very to rude, me. very rude, but okay. <laughs> I mean, like, and, uh, and it, some of it is, I don't know how much of it is, is the right. I, I just, I, I just wanted a lot more mm-hmm. than it was interested in, in being. And, and, and if, if it had been just something that I stumbled across, I probably would have been a lot more, uh, a lot more charmed. Probably would have um, enjoyed a lot more. 
Um, but coming from a place of, oh, no, this is one of the great 90s cartoons. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, no, it's just it's it's fine. And it's got an excellent voice cast. It does have an excellent voice cast. It's kind of ridiculous how stacked this cast is. <laughs> oh, yeah. But like you, Xanatos is their bad guy. Demona is their bad guy. And I'm like, you you are no Batman the Animated Series rogues villain, like, caliber, like, come on. Um, so so I just, I think I think that's the trouble I had with it. But mm-hmm. I, I did enjoy my time watching it. I am happy to watch more of it. I probably, I watched, like, 20 episodes mm-hmm. about, um, yeah. and it, so I, I feel like I, I feel like I got a representative sample and I watched episodes, of course, that Noel had curated for me, which was a good list. And like I see the different kind of energies of the show and personalities and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, I wanted to like it more, guys. I'm sorry. It's n- this is not a f- your favorites with Kate Kulzik because I don't have any Ill- animosity or ill will towards it. It's just I think I did not catch it at the right time and also caught it when I did watch it. Uh, this you know recently with too much baggage from people who are so passionate about it um, that I could not see it maybe with with the fresh eyes and certainly with the child's eyes that it is intended for to be seen with sure and that that wonder I just kept being like you know like they, okay now we're gonna contrive more reasons for them to not just kill people uh, or well, to, yes to, there to, is to that. not just to smash them during the day like. Like, at least let there be a curse or something so that they can't be destroyed. So that explains why, like, yeah, I want, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm so- I, f- I legit feel bad for not liking it more, Noel. I'm sorry. No. But I want to hear why you love it so much. Yeah. So um, I, for listeners who don't know what the show is, um, let's give like a quick premise for it real quick, I think. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't assume that everybody knows what it is because I didn't. Yeah. No. So um, Gargles and like the... 10th century um because i think it's a 900 it's 900 it's 900 995 yeah because yeah, they want to yeah. do it a hundred a thousand years a thousand years yeah. yeah anyway um these gargoyles protect this castle um but vikings and stuff show up ruin everything but they're the last of their clan because they were away hunting vikings the gargoyles turn to stone during the day um at night they come to life um, always very dramatic. Yes, always very dramatically because the lead of your cast is voiced by Keith David, so it's all very dramatic all the time. <laughs> um, Keith David, for the record, loves Goliath and loves any excuse to do do Goliath, and also routinely still go, goes to fan organized gargoyles conventions mm-hmm. because he looks because he's awesome because he's awesome <laughs> and also appearance fees, but also he just loves Goliath, which is understandable. Um, so what ends up happening is that Xanatos, the character that, um, is voiced by Jonathan Franks that Kate just mentioned is like Lex Luthor filthy rich (laughs) and takes the entire castle ruins and plants them on top of his ginormous skyscraper in Manhattan. Don't think about the coding violations that would not allow that to happen. He bought the codes. (laughs) Um, and to see if the curse of once the castle goes above the clouds the gargoyles curse is lifted etc there's a whole thing so basically what ends up happening is that gargoyles from the 10th century end up in the 20th century and fish out of water type of shenanigans plus 
mythology plus science fiction plus just a whole hodgepodge of stuff mm-hmm. um motivate their adventures everything from fighting maybe the actual macbeth from history um, yeah the actual yeah definitely the actual macbeth to fighting and puck and puck and gang wars um i didn't have kate watch any of the uh the uh uh Zuko episodes because he's mm. the worst and he sucks. Um mm-hmm. and so there's all this sort of stuff including television actors who become mercenaries. <laughs> yep, the pack. The pack, um which is just again voiced by a ridiculous number of people who are all very good. Um anyway, so that's the show and adventures ensue um Listeners for who watched the show, Kate did not get to the Avalon World Tour segment um, on her viewing, which is okay. Um, well, I, and that's something that I that that's a rebrand of the show that I think is really interesting and a smart move because they one of the early kind of like threads that they leave for later. Yeah, like I would say that they miss, but it's not a miss. It's an intentional like we'll circle back to this when we're, when we need more storylines. Is um all the gargoyles are destroyed except there's a bunch of eggs. And so obviously they are not the last of all gargoyles, but they just they can't fly. They can glide. And so they stay in New York because <laughs> for many reasons, but one of them being they don't they're not going to like fly across the ocean, yes. you know. That's not how that's not how they work. Um, so eventually, the idea that, like, yes, they're the last of their kind, like, where they live. <laughs> um, yes. So there are other ones. The, the idea that they get to then take the, the show on the road and and explore different cultures, relationships with mythology and that kind of thing is, I think, a really smart rebrand for when you're like, we've done everything we can do in New York. Um, we need something different. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I so that's that's a part of the show that I'm actually pretty excited to check out the next time I, I need a binge. I'll be really curious once you get to that section how you feel about the show um, because I imagine for a lot of people that that's the segment of the show that they really respond to. You know, there are another of a series of other elements that I imagine folks really respond to as well. But I think that the Avalon World Tour segment is the thing that really kind of hypes up people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is also, and this gets to answering your core question that you asked me of why the show for me is such a big deal is that no other show up to this point that I had watched showed me the power of serialization in a way that was intended for me as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a big deal of watching a show that was basically a primetime soap, <laughs> Um, but with laser guns and fighting, but also with, like, Puck from Midsummer's Night Dream. Um, so all this sort of stuff of, like, you, we can do serialized storytelling. We can do, um, we can have characters fade away and then come back, but, like, they're different somehow because of things that have happened, either as a result of these actions or somewhere off screen. But also just this whole building out of a mythos. Um, as you got to the City of Stone episode, so just this whole idea of the relationship between Macbeth and Demona and how all of that plays out and how that influences both of them um, was one of those things that, as a kid, 
just blew my mind. Because when you think about kids programming, especially in the 90s, you and I should really re-specify, American kids programming in the yes. 90s. yes. You don't get this kind of serialization, let alone this devotion to character depth, I feel like, um, in terms of why would we do a four-part, basically long flashback about these two villains and their whole history together? Um, Unless, like, this is a cool thing. Like, now I can see how this just kind of plays really tired or, like, not surprising. But for, like, in 95, 96, it was just, like, kids program American kids programming wasn't doing this. Um, and it really, for me in particular, it really primed me as, like, a confluence of events to being able to watch anime as well. So, which is deeply, deeply serialized, depending on the show, but generally very serialized. So, like, the same time I was watching this, I was watching, like, Robotech and Mobile Suit Gundam Wing, both of which are very serialized even compared to gargoyles so that is one of the big things that i really love about the show is that for me and i imagine a lot of other millennials older millennials is that it hit that spot of this is the mature kids show right like it's <laughs> complicated and it's dark but like not art deco dark in the way that batman is um and also arguably doesn't have necessarily Batman's uh, the animated series emotional depth depending on the episode of Batman the animated series as well um, there's not really a lot of episodes in Gargoyles that I would say stack up to like Heart of Ice um, or even the sheer kind of inspired lunacy of like Joker's favor um, let alone almost got him but I think that there are still real heights in the show that I th I think because I rewatched this last year showing it to my partner again because she really likes the show as well she watched it when she was a kid and we were just kind of reveling in that nostalgia trip but also just in that sense of no I still really like this um so I I'm the, all of this is to say that I still think it really holds up and I still am deeply charmed by it. Um, which kind of leads me to like a question I want to ask you is like, what characters did you find compelling, if any? Um, but also we do should talk about the voice cast as well. Um, so were there any characters or storylines that you kind of got? Because I think I did an okay job curating a lot of stuff, but also I was trying to curate for the Avalon World Tour section as well. Mm. Um, because yeah. a lot of stuff gets folded back in during that, during that section. Yeah, I, I was more, um, I felt bad for actually some of the, the gargoyles who, well, first of all, like, there's some groaning, like, creaking kind of, like, setup of, they don't have names except Goliath. Yeah. Because we want to name them New York things. Yes. So we need them to not have a name ahead of time. Um, but so I felt bad for some of uh, the, the side characters because I felt like they were, um, th that thing that shows do sometimes where they intentionally hold back growth for the side characters so that they can have the protagonist be right, you know, kind of mm -hmm. a thing. Um, so I wanted more for lot, Lex. Yeah. I wanted more for, for Hudson. I wanted more for, for, you know, Bronx and them. Like I, so that was something that, cause I, I really enjoyed the, the, the amount of care given to the specificity of their personalities I mean, because obviously they look like gargoyles, but you can, you get a strong sense of their ages 
um, despite the fact that they all look like, you know, gargoyle monster kind of things. But then that's a lot of that's in the vocal performances as well. Um, I actually wanted a lot more depth with Goliath and with all of the main characters than we get because they are so much in that stock Yes. Role and you you get like these very like compared to other shows, it's a lot more depth. Don't get me wrong. Compared to like other like shows that are very focused on we need to be able to replay these in any order, uh, so that we can, you know, have reruns because that was that you talk about the serialization, that was very intentionally part of the model was we want to be able to rerun any of these episodes whenever we need to just fit them in and sell more toys. Right? Um, so so that is a deliberate choice that gives them uh you know really separates this show out from a lot of the after school programming um that you would that you'd watch that was geared towards kids um but the i i just it, i think maybe because i got a taste of that from these i'm like you have keith david let him do more <laughs> um, and so i wanted i wanted even more from them um they get some really uh ridiculously intricate storylines and plots going with xanatos um, but they also make sure to just let you have, let him have fun and let, let him just be, you know, mustache twirling villain, uh, which is delightful. Um, so, so the characters actually that I enjoyed the, the, the characterization and the personalities of more were actually, I think the side characters versus the central ones, because Goliath is delightful, but is pretty much there to, to be booming and correct. And, uh, then Go out on a limb for fill in the blank and then get burned or be validated. That he kind does of get thing. burned a lot. He does not have the best judgment. <laughs> no, no. Um, so and it's a lot of these beats that will be very familiar of like, well, we can't, you know, we can't hurt Demona because then we'll, we'll be just as bad as Demona. That kind of a thing. Like, like all these different things. I thought that, um, again, I wanted much more nuance mm-hmm. for Demona. And I feel like this show made now would have really terrific character arcing beats. Like I would be really interested in the kind of show that the, the creators of the original um, would be allowed and have the freedom to make if they were making it now. Um, It's sort of like in a DS nine thing where it's like DS nine was left alone because TNG was still going. So they could actually do what they wanted over there. And it got way more interesting and weird (laughs) kind of a thing. So if, if the, you know, like I I think there's a lot of potential there with, with these characters to really, um, to really run or or glide maybe um, that they then just kept pulling back. Like, don't forget she's the bad guy. (laughs) So we need to keep having Demona not learn the lesson or, you know, keep lashing out. Cause I think there is as much as she's not one of the more interesting characters to me, there is a laudable amount of depth and and thought to Demona, for example, and her motivations for, you know, like why would you trust humans? Like Goliath what's wrong with you because they just keep like your friends, keep killing you right the, the like the people you're like you're you've got your one good human friend and then the people in their like clan or their village keep throwing shit at you because you're scary looking and that happens over and over and over and over <laughs> through time so yeah and I, I like that the show never backs away from they're scary they have to hide in the shadows people are you know like Yes, they don't they don't compromise on that. But at a certain point, like, is it just Alina? Is she like the 
the one good human who's like on the team and on board and every, do you need to have every single human that they interact with uh, like immediately like run away and, and like, there was one kid in one of the flashbacks who was like playing with them and having a good time. And then of course his mom pulls him away. Like, but I, I would have liked a little bit more of that um, to, to kind of counterbalance things. But since they didn't have that, I thought everything that they gave Demona around that stuff just made a lot more sense until she just starts like killing everyone. Um, she does go on a murder spree in city of stone that the show just never acknowledged. <laughs> just never deals with. Yeah. Just never, never, you know, like that, that lady with the groceries, you know, for all we know has kids and a family who are, she's got a dog waiting at home. Right. Like don't, just don't engage with that. Um, so, so those are the, those are the characters that I, that I was more interested in and more engaged with. Uh, but, but I actually had the most fun with just the vocal performance of Keith David delightful and um and then the the actual characters i was more intrigued by were actually the the the, like the trio of side characters how about you i really like macbeth um i find that character really compelling and really interesting especially some stuff that they do with him a little bit later um and he's voiced by um john reese davies Mm -hmm. speaking to like how again ridiculous that this show is um I do agree with you, like Goliath, he is there to be right or get burnt and learn a lesson, sort of. But his undying faith in humanity is always his downfall. Making Demona voiced by uh, Marina Sirtis um, an even bigger foil. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, In listeners, almost everyone from Star Trek's on this show at one point or another. Like the glaring exception is that um, Patrick Stewart just never shows up. Um, but even LeVar Burton's on for like an episode at some point. Um, so yeah, so like Macbeth, Goliath, um, I also really enjoy almost all of the pack, um, which I know is a ridiculous thing to say because they're all such caricatures, um, Mm -hmm. but they're all such fun caricatures. Um, I also really like Hudson as well, voiced by Ed Asner. Um, I didn't give you a lot of the Hudson episodes um, because some of them aren't good. Um, There's a whole episode um, in which he is running from Demona or something along those lines. I can't quite remember which where he it's very much a Frankenstein's monster and the blind man because he literally runs into a blind man um, and the blind man teaches him how to read. Okay, cool. I met the blind man. Later, in one yes. of the other episodes I watched. I think that th- that story is... It's one of those instances where the show is still kind of tugging and stretching at the bounds of... We need to do a literacy is important episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, because there are those kinds of episodes that I kind of like skipped over. Um, is that each of the three other like Lieutenant Gargles, Brooklyn, Lexington, and Broadway, each get like their own little like rivals... That happen. Um, so Brooklyn gets Demona, uh, Lexington gets the pack, and Broadway gets the gangs and really hates guns because there's a gun control episode that is very on the nose about <laughs> how also how Elisa is a very bad gun owner for a police officer, even though she lives alone. Yeah. Um, it's not a good episode. <laughs> Um, But it is a very kid-centered, like, focused type of episode from a this-is-the-danger-of-guns type of deal. The show steadily kind of backs away from doing that kind of stuff more so. 
Um, so the, I didn't give you that kind of stuff to watch, but I do think that the show's ability to find through lines for all of its characters, even if those through lines maybe aren't necessarily the most interesting, is really impressive. Um, again, especially for a show that was operating in the mid nineties that was intended for kids in the afternoons when it was airing alongside like goof troop and Chippendales rescue Rangers and that kind of stuff. Um, where it was just like, we're going to do something else because that Batman show is pretty successful. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. I'm, I'm curious to seek out some of the other, uh, the other like, um, spotlight episodes for the the rest of the the gargoyles like clan as it were um but yeah i mean like you got ed asner he's gonna be good yes every time so like you know yeah you're gonna enjoy it you're gonna have fun so while i am still a little disappointed that i didn't love it more i had a lot of fun with gargoyles and i'm grateful noel that you that you uh suggested that, that we talk about the show and that i now have that touchstone so i if nothing else i can go back and watch that last little bit of the uh, uh the ducktales finale and have some more context for it yeah no and i hope you do uh please let me know um and a quick correction i said zuko and i meant dracon um, dracon yeah but yeah he's just the worst i hate him so much <laughs> anyway <laughs> It's it's just such a quintessential like villain name mm-hmm. from this time. It's 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 very very on point. Yeah. So delightful. Well, that will wrap up our DVD shelf on gargoyles. Uh, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed over on Apple Podcasts where you can leave us a rating review. Let us know what you're thinking of the podcast. You can also find us over on Stitcher. We'd appreciate uh, ratings and reviews there as well. And we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel you are at noel rk thank you so much for a great discussion this week kate thank you noel and thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the televerse 